1: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network you're
2: listening to the archaeology show tas goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us welcome to the podcast
1: hello and welcome to the archaeology show episode 210
2: today's show is the third episode in our paleoanthropology series and we are covering paranthropus
1: let's dig a little deeper but not into this genus and species because they don't really matter (laughs) That's mean. That's mean. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. How's it going? Hello. I hope this episode isn't too zingeworthy. I mean, cringeworthy.
2: Wow, oh, opening strong. Here we go. You'll
1: understand what that means in the final segment, so stick around for that. Unless you're, if you're one of those people that just like shuts off a podcast because the hosts are annoying in the first two minutes. Okay,
2: bye. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> but
1: if you want to hear about zinge, then stick around. Yeah. Although he's not called Zinja anymore. I guess he's called Para. Right. But anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're continuing our paleoanthropology series here with episode three. And we think we're going to have one. We know we're going to have one more. Yeah. We might be able to squeeze everything into that one. Yeah. There might be two more.
2: Because there's so much to say about the homo species right, right. so that's what right. the, our last episode will be today we're doing Paranthropus, yes and but the the homo species just there's so much in there and so much to talk about because as yeah. we move forward in time we have more fossils and we have more examples and we have more research we just have more of everything the closer to you know today we get even though we're still really far away from today
1: yeah right. <laughs> So, Paranthropus is a genus name that actually means, it translates to beside man, mm-hmm. para and anthropus.
2: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Right, yeah. right,
1: in Latin. Yeah. So, uh, they're actually evolved from the Australopithecine line that we talked about last time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They also lived, you know, alongside of them a little bit, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's there's different species here, different evolutionary paths. It's always cats. overlap.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: but as we've talked about through this whole thing, not every one of the... I guess species that either lived near or contributed partially contributed not contributed genetic information to but just was like in this whole evolutionary span of walking upright, you know, primates. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are direct ancestors to humans.
2: Yeah, because like we've talked about we're we're talking about branching trees or bush, right? So sometimes the branch would just go off in another direction and end. And then yeah. some of the branches continued on down into the human line. And it seems like the Paranthropus branch did take off from the same place that the the human branch did, the Homo branch did. Right. But it just went its own direction and then probably ended at some point. Well, yes. definitely ended at some point. And then, you know, the, the Homo branch went the other direction yes. off of Australopithecine though. So that, you know, they are the common ancestor between us both. But that's where the, the commonalities end.
1: Right. Now, these guys lived between 2.9 and 1.2 million years ago. That 1.2 number is going to get important because they really did live alongside some of the Homo line mm-hmm. of, of our ancestors. Yes. So yeah. it would have been crazy to see like multiple walking upright primate species. I
2: know. Isn't that crazy? And
1: all these little short guys, too. Yeah. A bunch of things that are like less than four feet tall running around the savannah. I
2: know. And I wonder... like. Because we don't really know much about their behavior, right? It's really hard to know that. All we can do is look at their bones and and have the physical characteristics from that. But like, how similar were they? Were they as similar as us and chimpanzees are? Or was it much, much more closely related from a behavioral standpoint than that? And all we can right. do is guess, of course. But it would be really interesting to know. Yet another reason I want a time machine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was thinking about uh, like Homo erectus and those others we're going to talk about next time. Man, that first that first kind of baby that was born with with like no hair, you know, bigger <laughs> head and just been like, what the heck is this freak show that right. just came out of me? And right. I, obviously it doesn't happen that way. It's more gradual than that. But somebody had to have been born, you know, starting to look similar again. It's very much gradual and mm-hmm. you may not have noticed it, but I just in my mind, I want it to be that way. Right. Like all of <laughs> a sudden, bam. Yeah, you go. I
2: know. I think all of a sudden, bam, is not a phrase not that how, describes evolution like ever. No. Probably evolution works. Yeah. It's nice they'd to think in, that, but maybe in fruit
1: flies because they evolve like they you know, do. yes, every hundred generations, right. which happen in like a week,
2: right? So, <laughs> sure, we'll give it to give it to that one, right? Yeah. So anyway,
1: they're also known as robust australopithecines. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very just like meaty and, mm-hmm. and beefy from a bone standpoint, yeah, with huge crushing jaws, which we'll talk about. But uh, mm-hmm. the australopithecines were more gracile, Mm -hmm. we call it. They're just just more delicate, I guess.
2: And so gracile, it's used specifically to describe hominid species, and it just means that they are of slender build, essentially. So more delicate, slender, that kind of a thing.
1: Right, indeed. There are three known species of the Paranthropus genus, and we're going to talk about those in the next few segments here. This next one's really hard to pronounce, but it's Atheopicus.
2: Atheopicus.
1: Atheopicus. Atheopicus. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the A-E sound, Mm -hmm. uh, or I guess combination of vowels. Yeah. uh, T-H-I-O and then picus, Mm P-I-C-U-S. Atheopicus. Atheopicus. Yeah. And then robustus and boisei. Right. Boisei is the most interesting one to me. We'll get to that in the final segment. Mm -hmm. So looking at parenthesis... Atheopagus. Man, I am just not going to get that right. You guys don't know this, but I've edited out me screwing that up many times at this like point. Like a
2: lot of times. <laughs> yeah. But you notice how many times I've even tried to say it? I know, right? Like once. Yeah. So indeed. So
1: anyway, 2.7 to about 2.3 million years ago. The original time span here, I said, was 2.9 to 1.2 million years ago. We're just talking rough numbers here. Yeah, this right? is
2: generalizations um, for these
1: different species. Right. And they, I think that that when they come up with the ranges for these time spans that these beings lived, the certain genus or even a genus and species combination, mm-hmm. they're trying to probably take into account the variation in the dating. Mm-hmm. So the dating is not exact because they're not dating the fossils directly like right. we talked about earlier. Yeah. They're dating the layers around the fossils. So it's subject to a little bit of, you know, 100,000 year range. You know, yep. And 2.7 and 2.9 million years, the difference there is 200,000 years. Yeah. So that's not very long in the span of human evolution or any evolution. Any evolution.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: So. When I say 2.7, that's probably just because they were found in a layer that dates to between 2.7 and 2.3 million years, mm-hmm. right? So that's probably what that means. Yep. But anyway, Eastern Africa in the Turkana Basin of northern Kenya, southern Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and that's more than likely where the name comes from is leading towards Ethiopia, Ethiopicus. Right. So,
2: And the fossil was discovered by Alan Walker and Richard Leakey and is known as the famous black skull.
1: Yeah, it was actually really dark color, and they just called it the black the skull. The black skull,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It was.
1: Uh, I've seen pictures of it, and I've seen uh, what is it called? A reproduction of it, mm-hmm. yeah. Because uh, yeah. my, my university, we had reproductions of all the big oh, sure, yeah, the big the big names.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of the ones that's taught in all paleoanthropology yeah. classes, and it is much darker. But I imagine that when the bones are going through the process of turning into you know fossils, basically the fossilization process, crazy things can happen. Minerals are weird, and you know whatever compounds are in there just mm-hmm. cause things to it just causes one to turn dark.
1: Right, right. Now this one. Again, you're going to hear this for probably all of these, but it had a strongly protruding face, so that kind of sticky out face that you see in like certain ape species, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, like
2: imagine a a, a gorilla or an yeah. orangutan kind of right, like that mm-hmm. sort of protruding mouth.
1: Very large teeth. They actually called them like megadont teeth. Mm-hmm. Like they're huge teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, powerful jaw, as well as a well-developed sagittal crest on the top of the skull. Now, that's kind of, uh, you know, their their shark fin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's what the sagittal crest is for, though, is attaching the chewing muscles from the jaw. Right. They mm-hmm. literally attach all the way up the side of the skull up to this sagittal crest mm-hmm. and allow you to have that crushing force. Yeah. For your, for your jaws to just eat basically whatever you want.
2: That's why their jaws are so strong. And, yeah. They needed it probably because they're they're chewing this like really fibrous diet basically, mm-hmm. so they needed that kind of muscle to break it down and, and process it. So yeah,
1: yeah. The fossil that was discovered for this particular species, the name of it was proposed in 1967, and again, it describes a toothless partial mandible that the discoverers thought differed enough from early hominins to warrant a new genus and species. So we mm-hmm. didn't actually have some of the other stuff that we had yet. Mm-hmm. And and actually, there were other things that were found that were actually renamed into these Paranthropus species right. once we had more examples of them and people realized they were different or maybe they were uncategorized and mm-hmm. then they could be recategorized.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you get a really good sample from the skull, that's when you can really start. Differentiating species because that's where you see yeah. these differences that cause you to be like, Oh, wait a minute, this is a lot bigger, or this is a lot smaller, or this is forward or back, or whatever. And those are the things that they're using to to create a new species, basically.
1: Right. Yeah. So that first one in 1967 didn't really fly with most anthropologists. Right. <laughs> it they're never like, does in the beginning. I know. Right? They're like, We need a little bit more information.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The a not enough. <laughs> I know. But
1: the discoverers of that were actually smarter than I think they were. And the idea of this species came back with that black skull discovery by mm-hmm. Alan Walker and Richard Leakey. Mm-hmm. And the realization that it did, in fact, have a mixture of derived and primitive traits. Mm-hmm. And this is very similar to Australopithecus afarensis and very well could be a descendant of Australopithecus afarensis. And mm-hmm. Australopithecus afarensis, if you remember from the last episode, or if you didn't hear it, go listen to it, was Lucy, mm-hmm. the famous fossil Lucy. And I was like, is this Lucy's great 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 grandchild? <laughs>
2: There's probably many greats in there. No. But it's possible. Because they Why were found not? in a similar area, right? Yeah, so they it's were. definitely possible.
1: Yeah, there could be some relation going on mm-hmm. there. I would imagine the males kinda got around. So
2: Yeah. Isn't know. it it's kinda like how we're all related to Genghis Khan. Or like right. a large portion of the population is related to Genghis Khan. Because yep. well, he was a guy that got around and yeah, so
1: <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to head over to South Africa to the first Paranthropus that was discovered that actually kicked off this whole genus back in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 210. We're talking about Paranthropus, beside man, (laughs) or really beside... You know, hominins, Mm -hmm. not really man. Beside
2: person, come on, don't leave us out over here. I
1: don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the next one is Paranthropus robustus, and Mm -hmm. these guys lived from again about 1.8 to 1.2 million years ago in South Africa. Not South Africa the country, but like Southern Africa, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So they had probably
2: including South Africa, but like larger than just that.
1: Yeah, when we say South Africa, we mean Southern Africa. Mm -hmm. Discovered in 1938 by Robert Broom, and It's funny, he didn't actually dig up the first one. He bought a jaw fragment and a molar that he didn't think looked oh, like australopithecines that he'd seen. And in fact, buying fossils was pretty common back in that day. Yeah. Uh, there was another anthropologist I read about, which we'll probably get to in the next segment when we talk about Java Man in the next episode. What the heck is his name? I read whole books about him. Uh, but anyway, he was pretty famous for hiring people to work on his excavations and mm-hmm. then paying for the for the fossils they pulled out. Oh, I that's see. How they That's how they paid him for yeah. their work, basically. Yeah. Which was a problem early on, and I'm assuming that was a problem down here, too, because you were paid by the number of fossils you brought, so the the mm-hmm. natives got pretty wise to that and started breaking them. Oh, <laughs> no.
2: Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So, well, anyway. Yeah.
1: Should have had a rule that if it refits <laughs> back together, you're charged with one.
2: <laughs> it just goes to show you that humans are kind of the same everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, you've got grandfather's collecting projectile points on their mantle here in the United States, and you have native peoples in Africa just collecting, Mm. you know, fossilized jawbones that they find when they're out walking around in the savanna. It is what it is. Humans just want to collect that kind of stuff. It's kind of a hard behavior to... Convince people to get past. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and
1: people want to support their families they're, they, well,
2: true. and they're. Well, true. They're going
1: to do what they got to do. Oh,
2: yeah, for sure. And like yeah. there's a part of me that's like, yeah, do what you got to do. That's fine.
1: Indeed. So, Broom actually did explore the area down there and he explored specifically the area called crumb Dry. I don't know if it's dry or what, but it's K R O M D R A A I. I don't know how to pronounce that in Afrikaans, which is probably the language. Yeah, I'm not probably. really sure actually. Because this
2: is actual. South Africa, this particular discovery.
1: Yeah, and he collected a lot more bones and teeth, Mm -hmm. and... Named, named the species Paranthropus robustus back mm-hmm. again in 19, probably 38, 39, give or take. So, and again, this is another robust Australopithecine, so still coming down from that Australopithecus line. The Australopithecines mm-hmm. are basically all over eastern and southern Africa. Mm-hmm. We don't hear a lot about West Africa, and I'm not sure if that's because we don't have like the Great Rift Valley and some of the other environments that would allow for the exposure the, and digging yeah. in these fossil beds because there's a lot of desert and just sand dunes out in, like, central and western Africa. Yeah, yeah. Although there have been some, we mentioned the first thing we found in central Africa, like Chad, Mm -hmm. I
2: mean, it's all about the preservation conditions, right? So if it wasn't good when they were there in that time, then we probably won't have fossils, and we'll never have fossils, because, you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, and it's political, too. Like, I don't know how much activity there is over there from an excavation standpoint mm, because right. of some of the political instability in yeah, some of those Yeah, and if African it's not countries. safe
2: or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, true.
1: Anyway, he also had large megadont teeth, I love that word, mm-hmm. with thick enamel, uh, large cheekbones, massive chewing muscles, which obviously gave him a large, or them I should say, yep. a large sagittal crest for attaching those jaw muscles. Yeah, And then the robustest part actually refers to the tooth and face size, not the body size. They were still pretty short. Mm. You know, three to four feet yeah, uh, yeah maybe a little taller but right. still small i mean think of your small apes that you would see in a in a zoo basically standing up full time but not standing up you know when a chimpanzee stands up it looks like they're it's awkward for them mm-hmm. like they don't really want to stand up it's not comfortable right but we're talking about standing up like standing up like
2: all the time yeah yeah like it's so, their primary you know right. way that they're getting around so. exactly exactly so i I have a question because I read on one of the articles I was looking at that that super large sagittal crest that really just comes off the top of the skull like a like a fan almost, you know, like it really sticks right up. And that's where their chewing muscles were attached to, of course. Mm-hmm. I, I read that that is kind of similar to how gorillas are, mm-hmm. like, a, like a modern gorilla. Their right. skull looks like that. And so it makes me wonder if the Paranthropus line is headed towards the gorilla evolution. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know enough about primatology to really know like if it went that direction or well, I'm not. I'm not sure,
1: but I feel like the sheer size of gorillas...
2: Puts, oh, yeah, they're on bigger. a completely
1: different line. Yeah. Because they would have had to get pretty big in a relatively evolutionarily short period of time.
2: Yeah. So these guys are much smaller. They just yeah. have similar characteristics.
1: Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, gorillas are still primates, but not all primates are, you know, created equal. Right. They all <laughs>
2: have, I mean, obviously there's a common ancestor somewhere back there, but Yeah, if you go back it's far like, enough. Where is it?
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: that would be a whole other series is to go through the primatology. <laughs> evolutionary I know. Line.
1: <laughs> I'm just willing to bet that gorillas are not part of it at all, only yeah. because I've studied a lot of paleo. Anthropology, and I've never once heard gorillas Girls mentioned, be
2: included. Yeah, yeah, true, true. It's yeah. always
1: chimpanzee, which again is not even true. Yeah, I don't know why it's chimpanzee. It's probably because we're the closest. It's the closest we are still to that species. Yeah. Like humans and chimpanzees, mm-hmm. we're probably the closer to them than anything else. Mm-hmm. But that again, that just means that we evolved with them from a common ancestor. Yeah. Right. So there's other people that are not writing about human evolution that are finding, you know, they're still doing paleontology. That's mm-hmm. just regular paleontology. That's yeah. not paleoanthropology. They're still finding fossils of other animals and there's whole, you know, family bushes, evolutionary
2: lines. Yeah. <laughs> For those animals yeah, as well. Totally.
1: You know, so yeah,
2: the whole field is really fascinating yeah. to see how one species transforms into another, given enough time (laughs) and the right conditions.
1: Right. All right. Well, we're going to take another short break and we're going to come back and talk about my favorite one, Paranthropus Boisei, because I've been to where this one was excavated from. Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish
0: Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun...
1: Welcome back to the Paranthropus edition of the Archaeology <laughs> Show. And this is going to be a shorter episode, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to have this be a distinct piece, mm-hmm. right? I wanted, there just wasn't enough to talk about for Paranthropus, at least at our knowledge level. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to keep these as distinct pieces, like I said. So we had yeah. kind of the pre Australopithecines in episode one, if you haven't heard of this. Yep. Which the was old, actually old episode, stuff. yeah, <laughs> episode 208. Yep. Episode 209, our part two of this series, was Australopithecus. Mm hmm and all the australopithecines and now we're talking about paranthropus and then in the next Addition, possibly two, if we can't fit it into one, mm-hmm. will be the homo line. Yep. So homo erectus, homo sapiens, mm-hmm. you know, homo we habilis. We might even
2: touch on Neanderthals and Denisovans just a little bit. Although we have done whole series on them as well. We so, have. But yeah. they're part
1: of the conversation. They and are. They're part of it. this mm-hmm. is why we might end up doing two episodes. <laughs> yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> so yeah, maybe. We might just
1: have to do a cleanup episode, to be honest, to talk about the things that... Yeah, like a know, wrap up. There's just yeah. so
2: much. It's There's so much. I took a whole class on this in college, a whole yeah. entire semester to devoted to this stuff and we are squeezing it into four to five you know 30 to 45 minute episodes but but that does mean that this episode is a little bit shorter because there's just not quite as much material to talk about here and you know what that's all right
1: yeah so here's another one again Paranthropus Boisei that lived pretty much right alongside of Paranthropus Robustus
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: it was after a mm-hmm. or they could have overlapped a little bit, we just don't have the fossils for it, but definitely lived alongside Robustus, mm-hmm. um, at least in time, maybe not in actual place, Yeah, because these guys are up around Ethiopia, Kenya, and Tanzania, so like yeah. the northern version Further versus north. the southern version, right? Right, right? They lived from 2.3 to 1.2 million years ago, discovered in 1959 by Mary Leakey in Olduvai Gorge. Olduvai Gorge is in western Tanzania, out near the Serengeti,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and It was actually formerly called Zinganthropus Boisei, and Zinj was the shortened name, and honestly, Mm -hmm. I've read about this, and I cannot remember where Zinge comes from, that name Zinj. I can't remember why she called it that, or where that came from, some nickname for that area, or, or somebody there, but... I, I just can't remember. Rachel might be looking it up right now. I am.
2: Us. The name derives from Zinj, an ancient Arabic word for the coast of East Africa.
1: Well, there you go. Yep. They weren't really on the coast, but close yeah, enough, I guess. you
2: know, I mean, kind of getting there. Yeah. yeah.
1: The skull was officially called OH5, Olduvai hominid 5, and again, named Zinj. Mm-hmm. And it is the type specimen for P. boisei, Paranthropus boisei. When you see these written down, they usually have a capital oh, yeah. letter for the genus, mm-hmm. and then lowercase, usually italicized for the species. That's right. how these go. So that, that's why I read it that way. It's in my notes that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the most famous early human fossil from Olduvai Gorge. There's a yeah. lot of stuff but stuff that's been found from Olduvai Gorge. Yeah, I
2: can say Olduvai Gorge is like the gift that keeps on giving to yeah. both paleoanthropologists and also to just the right. f- fossils in general of, of all kinds of different species. Like when you were there, you didn't even find any human stuff. You found like... Not that I know of. Like giant... Animals, basically, right? We'll
1: talk about my experiences there in a minute because I do want to talk pretty heavily about that because it was such a cool time. Mm -hmm. But they nicknamed him the Nutcracker Man, which was another nickname that Zinch had, Mm. again, uh, because of the big teeth and strong chewing muscles attached to a large sagittal crest, which is somewhat of a hallmark of this species Mm -hmm. and this whole genus. Yeah. Yeah. The flaring cheekbones gave him a wide dish-shaped face, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. The cheek teeth were four times the size of modern humans. So again, big, big old mouth.
2: The facial features suggest that Zinj could have eaten tough foods, but the wear patterns on the teeth suggest they had a more diverse diet that included softer foods.
1: Which this kind of leads into you thinking, okay, so he's evolved for one thing, but Mm -hmm. the landscape is probably changing as Mm -hmm. they do with climate and they're eating different foods as indicated by their wear patterns. They're evolved to eat, you know, more tough foods, but the the foods are changing and they're changing with it, but their bodies haven't changed yet.
2: Which is super interesting. I I love that they have the good wear patterns on the teeth that they can study because, yeah, sure, the the earlier versions would have needed teeth that could handle tougher foods. But as they start evolving and, and sort of, you know, getting away from that kind of diet then it's starting to change and this feels very like transitional like they could have eaten these kind of foods but the where says they ate these kind of foods it's it's a really neat like transition point
1: well and it's cool too we got to be careful when we talk about what causes evolution Mm -hmm. nothing really causes evolution evolution happens because it's a mutation in your in your genetic code is that mutation beneficial in some way to help you basically produce more offspring, Mm -hmm. right? So they could have been, again, evolved to eat these tough foods, but as their landscape changed, the ones that were able to adapt to that softer food, either just mentally, just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to eat this stuff instead of this stuff, could have been more successful for a longer period of time and had more offspring. Right. And then, you know, eventually those offspring... If they had some of the same ideas and maybe some of them were born with, you know, starting to get smaller teeth and things like that, Mm -hmm. they would have been even more well adapted to the food that their parents are eating. Right. right? And then they would have had even more offspring because they were more successful. And that's just how that thing. That's how that happens. Yeah. But it takes. It's
2: it's very gradual, though. It's not just across one generation. It's it's many, many generations. And
1: it's a long time. It takes
2: so much time for it to happen. But but you can see. In this fossil, like how it's starting to go that direction, it's it's really cool.
1: Yeah. And, you know, people say that evolution takes, you know, when you hear evolution takes millions of years and then some people will say, well, I saw some, you know, some things evolve quicker. It's like, it really just depends on luck in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you had some catastrophic event for an entire species, but a few of them were, were adapted to survive the event or the environment that the event created, if... The right circumstances apply and, and they ha- there's a mutation in their offspring over enough generations that allow them to survive in this new environment, then they will... Endure, mm-hmm. but in most cases the species just dies. Yeah, I mean, look at the dinosaurs. Yeah, you know they probably all didn't die during the meteor impact of what's now sixty six million years ago, not sixty five. Oh yeah, yeah, that was mm-hmm. redefined by geologists. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I just saw that just recently. Oh yeah. Wow. But okay. anyway, so a lot of them probably did live through that. They didn't die immediately. Yeah. But they couldn't survive in the new environment, and their offspring weren't able to change enough. Yeah. You know to adapt to that new environment. Yeah, because so. you need
2: diversity within a population. In order for the population to right. continue on. And if you don't have enough diversity, then actually, like some of the bad traits might get passed down. And then right. all of a sudden, you're not able to produce offspring like you should. And then, you know, the species dies away. Like that's one of the ways that an evolutionary line can end.
1: Right. Do you want to read the next bullet point? Go ahead.
2: P. Boisei is thought to descend from P. Aethiopicus. They lived in the same area, separated by a few hundred thousand years. Man, I
1: really thought you'd stumble over Aethiopicus. Oh, you
2: wanted me to read. Yeah. Oh, I was like, why are you trying to get me to read that point? <laughs> <laughs> I heard you stumble enough times. I figured out how to pronounce yeah. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Boisei also, or I'm just going to say jit, Zinch, mm-hmm. um, also lived alongside other species of early humans that we'll talk about in the next episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were around, according to the fossil record, for over a million years that
2: is so much time yeah like that is a huge amount of time and unchanging we,
1: enough to be the same species
2: like we haven't even been around for a
1: million years no not even a little bit yeah yeah well the, the best estimates are I think it's it's now two to four hundred thousand years for yeah. homo sapiens sapiens yep yeah So, Anyway, it's just one of the many side branches of human evolution, Paranthropus is. Mm -hmm. But scientists, again, do not think it led to Homo sapiens. Just shared a common ancestor. They think we had a common ancestor before that, and they basically died out. They Mm -hmm. were a line that just didn't continue. Now, the fossil record may prove that false at some point.
2: Yeah, it could.
1: And it's also, you know, we're looking at traits here, and that's the only thing we can look at. We don't have any DNA from something this old, and if Mm -hmm. there was any sort of... Weirdly preserved fleshy bits, I don't think they get anything from the DNA anyway, but a million-year-old fleshy bit, that seems unlikely. Yeah, it seems very
2: unlikely. And would you trust it even if you did have something? It just, yeah. Yeah.
1: The 1975 discovery of Paranthropus boisei and H. H. homo erectus in the same layer, there was a a dig back Mm -hmm. then. Um, That's cool. Found these two in the same layer, was the first example of species coexistence, in fact. Yeah. So we've just had... Relative dates that are overlapping, Mm -hmm. but didn't know if they were actually living in the same area.
2: Right. So they're found in the same layer of the same area too so like they could have physically overlapped yeah and and also like what is the length of time for that well again so so
1: they're so they're usually dating volcanic layers so yeah they may have found both of these in the same layer but that layer may have a four hundred thousand year time span that's
2: what i'm kind of wondering it's not like Like they were neighbors there's no way for them to really know because again you're just dating these layers one could have been above or below but then you also have some like geologic movement that can right move things up and down too so it's it's hard but if to say. you've got
1: if you've got multiple examples of these because we do now if you got examples of these in the same geological time span mm-hmm. then i mean there's no reason to assume they didn't know about each other
2: yeah yeah
1: you know or even fought against each other or even collaboratively worked with each other mm-hmm. who knows yeah you know? for sure so i mean they wouldn't have been collaborative in the sense of like humans, like we know now, mm-hmm. but like other animal species, it
2: makes you wonder if there was some mixing of the of genetics, mm-hmm. some breeding or whatever in you know interbreeding, sure that would mix their genetics in with you know what we what became modern humans. So,
1: but that would we would see some traits from them uh, in the Homa yeah.
2: Line. I, would yeah. you though? Like you might not. We don't really see well, any. We don't physically see any Neanderthal traits in us, but we do know that there are some. Right. So yeah, yeah.
1: I mean if they didn't. They could have interbred, mm-hmm. or even vitally interbred, <laughs> but which, which right. species did? Right. But just didn't produce viable offspring. Yeah, right. right. So right. then the traits were not passed down. Yeah, to either of them. Yeah. So anyway, that's about it for this one. We've got. Uh, uh, this is the whole Paranthropus line here. Basically, these are the three species in it, mm-hmm. and we do have a number of fossils now for some of these, and some good evidence for them. And again, nothing that officially links them down to what human descendants. Mm-hmm. And but we do have evidence that links them to Australopithecus, so they are right. that middle ground, and that branch that, like we said, died off. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Next time around, we are going to start getting into the Homo line. Still back a million years though. Yep. You know, we got <laughs> we got a lot of stuff to talk about back there. Yeah. And then it really starts to you know, get a little, get a little more mixy in the last like 500,000 to 800,000 years. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden we start, they start dropping like flies mm-hmm. and then there's just one left. Yep. So, mm-hmm. and that only happened about 30, 40,000 years ago.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how yeah. re- relatively recent it is when yeah. you're thinking about it from a evolutionary standpoint.
1: Right. I did mention earlier in this segment that I wanted to talk about my time in Africa real quick. Mm -hmm. It was really, really cool. It was 2005. I had just finished college, and I had actually applied in my last year of college to Arizona State University for their paleoanthropology program. Mm-hmm. They did not accept me.
2: <laughs> I think you have mentioned that before. Yeah, it was yeah. just,
1: I wasn't right for the job, or for the position, I should say. I probably wasn't mentally ready for it, and mm-hmm. I definitely didn't like have the grades and stuff for it. I had mm-hmm. the interest in it, but I just wasn't, yeah, they, they picked probably better people. Mm-hmm. But I was still very much interested, and I wanted to go to a field school. I wasn't interested in any other field schools, and I found through Earthwatch. Somebody turned me on to that at my, at my school. And Earthwatch is an organization that does like this ecotourism kind of stuff. But it's a working vacation where you learn stuff and you you get to work with different scientists doing different things. It's not right. just archaeology and stuff. In fact, it's mostly not. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, you pay to go there and that money goes to help fund the project. Mm-hmm. right? So the it's research. really, yeah, it's really, you get to learn something and it helps fund it. Now, there were other ways I could have gone there, but they were looking for grad students on these projects and, you know, people at universities and stuff like that, just from an insurance standpoint, probably. Mm -hmm. But this Earthwatch Earthwatch dig was not. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I went. It wasn't cheap, but it was totally worth it. So I spent three weeks in Olduvai Gorge, living in the leaky Camp and, you know, being guarded by Maasai tribe that was nearby. Mm -hmm. um, That was like a half day's walk away. And they came out every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, I mean, maybe not a half day, but it was... It was a lot. Yeah. It was a long ways. Only took us a little bit by vehicle, but they had to go like through the gorge and around to get over to us. But right. anyway, that was really neat. And we did an excavation in a layer in Olduvai Gorge, a bottom layer, Olduvai Gorge, they they were saying even back then that it might be played out fossil wise. Mm-hmm. As far as there's a lot more fossils in there, but as far as what we can learn from those, we're just finding the same the things same over, thing and over, over and, again. and over again. Yeah, right. because Olduvai Gorge has a base layer of about two point zero one million years, because mm-hmm. that's where the super thick basalt is, mm-hmm. and nobody's ever gone through that. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't probably be much under there anyway, because it's so thick. Right. So. That's where it is. You've got surface now down to 2.01 million years. Mm -hmm. And we have a really strong fossil record for that time frame.
2: What physical depth is that?
1: Oh, man. It depended where you were in the gorge, but it could have been anywhere from, uh, I'll speak in feet, but anywhere from, you know, 20 feet to 40 feet. Okay. You know, 60 feet. I mean, the gorge is pretty deep in some areas. Yeah. Yeah. But not
2: like... Un, like crazy, crazy. Not deep. like Grand Canyon. Yeah, right. And it's
1: relatively wide, too. There were some steep yeah. walls in places, but mm-hmm. it's a wide, meandering gorge. It's called the Rift Valley because that part of East Africa, what the, everything that's considered East Africa is essentially ripping away from the mainland. And at some point, the Rift Valley is going to fill up with the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to dump into it. Yeah. And create this whole inland sea and then this whole peninsula. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of basically the landmass where Saudi Arabia is. This is essentially what happened there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's definitely going to happen here at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've. Like
2: geologically, some point. So, yeah, like, it's not going to be
1: anytime soon. Like probably
2: not like in our lifetimes, but. Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: But they, it's a very visible thing on the landscape. Like when we were driving out from Arusha. I think it was called Russia in Tanzania, where I met the one met everybody. And we got into our vans to go out to the camp. The camp is almost all the way out on the edge of the Serengeti. I mean, mm-hmm. it is on the edge of the Serengeti, mm-hmm. so um, it's it's way out there from the main town, Russia in Tanzania, where we were, and we literally drove up the escarpment like you know where it is mm-hmm. there's a huge difference in the landscape where yeah. you're just driving along and then you'd have to switch back up the escarpment and then you're on top of it yeah and it's a it's a it's an area that's just like way higher in elevation mm-hmm. just naturally than the rest of that portion of of uh, africa so it was really cool but anyway we saw lots of places around in there we again uh, uncovered extinct hippos and all these other things and didn't find any hominid stuff that we were aware of but they didn't do the full analysis while we were there and all that was just really really neat and the Zinge site uh, that we went to a very very detailed excavation Mary Leakey was incredibly meticulous Mm -hmm. and really controlled her excavations with an iron fist Mm -hmm. I mean the back wall of this excavation was probably 20 feet high and it was ridiculously straight
2: right <laughs> like the excavation
1: was just like precise yeah and they're before. not using
2: heavy machinery to do this oh, no, either this no. is all done by hand
1: they're doing pickaxes mostly it's yeah. very dead stuff we yeah. dug with pickaxes right right and it was it was just like crack it's backbreaking work yeah. really but you walk up there and, and there it is and it was just a, a really cool thing so anyway that was a really awesome experience we got to go to a maasai market where all the i think it's once a month or something like that or maybe even once a week i don't know a lot of Maasai tribes nearby. They trek over mm-hmm. to here to, you know, to trade and and do whatever yeah, they're going to cool. do, and, yeah. and they benefit from the tourist trade too because it's always in the same place. And right. you know, tour companies bring tourists there to buy stuff from them. I bought some things, mm-hmm. and we also went to the Serengeti for a day. That's where I saw the lions eating a warthog,
0: <laughs> which was
1: crazy. I think I've talked about it on this show before, and it was just really awesome. Yeah, uh, that's really cool experience. So, it was really neat to see what the African. Savannah looks like mm-hmm. from that standpoint it's you not know? like Lion King It's a lot like Lion King, actually. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it looks like that. Yeah. You know? There's no, like, elephant graveyard or anything, but (laughs) it it looks, I mean, it looks like the savannah. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what it looks like today. So It was just really neat. We went to Ngorongoro Crater, too, which is a a big, huge volcanic crater that's really sunk in, Mm -hmm. like a big caldera, I think, in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. You you go up this rim, and then you come back down into the crater. Mm -hmm. And along the crater edge, a couple, like a thousand feet or more off the floor of the crater... Is like resorts. Not very many of them. There's a handful of them. Like Mm. we, uh, they took, they took us Americans Mm -hmm. and a few of the people that were working with us from Tanzania to uh, one of the resorts where we had lunch. We had our first like, I mean, properly prepared meal, not just like a camp meal. Oh, right. Camp Mm -hmm. meals were great, but but they were camp meals. Yeah. Yeah. And we had Coca-Cola, which after two weeks of being in in there like we were just downing some Coca-Cola mm-hmm. uh cuz we just didn't have that over there and it was <laughs> a really cool view looking out over the crater which was really nice but mm-hmm. down in the crater we saw flocks and flocks and flocks of flamingos mm-hmm. big herds of wildebeest and cheetahs and oh, there weren't any cool. elephants in there from what i remember uh or giraffe i don't think i think there were zebras in there there were definitely lions in so there So like
2: you can just sit up top and like watch all the activity down below basically
1: It looks like a scene out of a Disney that's movie so
2: cool Yeah but we
1: were down in it yeah. Oh, as okay. well, we okay. drove down in it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I'll never cool. forget when, you know, anytime you saw a collection of vehicles, other people gathered around there because something big was happening. Mm-hmm. And we got in this line of vehicles that stopped on the side of the road and you shut your engine off and we put the put the top up on the van that we were in mm-hmm. and we're all standing up looking and going, mm-hmm. what's going on? What's going on? And there was a big male lion, not a lioness, um, lion coming from like left to right as we were looking at mm-hmm. it. And he was just walking. He's used to seeing vehicles. Doesn't even care. Yeah. Walked between two of them, like two two up in front mm-hmm. of us. Uh, and he just he just continued off onto the right, but we I think we were on the left side of the road because I have a photograph of that lion. It just stopped in the middle of the road, not in front of the vehicles, but off to the side, and just took a huge crap. <laughs> Just like right there, like any any cat would. Like,
2: we don't care. Right. I don't care that you're here at all. No. And
1: then he like pawed (laughs) at it a little bit like a kitty would. And then just kept walking really slowly. (laughs) Yeah. And just kept moving on. So anyway, it was an amazing experience. I really want to get back to Africa at some point. Yeah.
2: That sounds awesome.
1: It was just, uh, it it was really cool to contribute to the scientific record a little bit Mm -hmm. while we were there too, not just being tourists. Yeah. I mean,
2: that's such a cool, uh, historic place for fossils. So that you got to work there.
1: Yep. right. Well, we do have a bonus track for this episode and it's only, I know we could have probably fit it in time-wise here. I really wanted to talk about it because it does relate to the conversation that we're having mm-hmm. and it's got a relatively inflammatory headline about pushing the origins of intelligent life on earth back 300,000 years. Oh,
2: you know those inflammatory know. headlines. They love to try to bring people in with stuff yep. that's not necessarily true, but yeah, That's right. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, with that, we will see you guys next week with the fourth edition of our paleoanthropology series.
2: Mm -hmm. And members, don't forget to go over to the website so that you can download the bonus segment. And if you're not a member... Hey, check it out. Maybe you want to become one. Support us.
1: ArcPodnet.com forward slash members. You can be part of our members only Slack team. If you Mm -hmm. don't know what Slack is, it's just a chat tool, basically. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. free. It doesn't cost you anything. And we add you to that team as part of your membership. And then the Slack team notifies you when when our episodes come out early and also when we have bonus episodes. So Mm -hmm. you get to listen to them commercial free. Right now, everything's commercial free if you're listening to this in real time. Mm -hmm. But eventually, they won't be. Mm -hmm. And you get to listen to it whenever you want commercial free. And then also, again, the new stuff. So $7.99 a month right now, unless you're listening to this way in the future and that's changed. Yep. But if it's early 2023, $7.99 a month and then comes out to like 76 bucks or something like that because you get a 25% discount if you do annually. Yep. Lots more benefits coming down. And Tristan, my co-founder and I have already decided that we will never raise the price because we want to be mostly ad supported yeah. and not you know we, we want to add more features but not add more cost
2: yeah we don't yeah, want to the members we don't want people to be paying money if we can help it we'd rather advertisers pay yeah so yeah that's, but we
1: do want to provide a little extra to yeah. those people that uh, decide do. to support us yeah because so. we appreciate it indeed all right well thanks a lot and we'll see you next week bye Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArchPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media and the Archaeology Podcast Network and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archepodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.